Welcome to the Hayes Worldwide Leadership Insights Podcast. In this series, I'll be talking to business leaders from across the world of work who will be sharing their expertise to help you effectively lead your business, both now and in the future. As part of LinkedIn's Talent Voices series, our CEO and LinkedIn influencer, Alistair Cox, recently spoke with Adam Hawkins, head of search and staffing at LinkedIn. In this episode, Alistair shares how his organization is adapting to current workplace challenges in an ever-changing climate and the importance of lifelong learning to the staffing and recruitment industry to help close the gap between skills required and the industry needs. I'll now hand over to Adam and Alistair for the interview. We hope you enjoy this episode and thank you for listening. We'll start succinct, Alistair, because there's always deep conversation. Yeah, I'd love to get sort of get a sort of in a sentence your your description or your synopsis of of 2020 for you. Yeah, I mean, I think you were saying if you could sum it up in one word, what would it be? I can think of lots of words actually, most of them unprintable. Uh, <laughs> so I'll go with the safe. I'll go with the safe option. Challenging, I think, is uh, is is a word that kind of sums it up. But I tell you something: we have learned an awful lot that we would have probably never had the opportunity to really learn, or certainly not learn as fast as we've had to learn over the last twelve months if, if we'd not had to go through the experiences. So I'm not saying that you know I'd, I'd wish this sort of uh, circumstance on anybody, but it is what it is. And I think uh, as societies, as individuals, certainly as our business, we've learned an awful lot about what works, what might need improving, how to operate in this world that without the extreme challenges that we've all had to deal with, we, we would have never had the opportunity. So there's some good that's uh, that's come out of it. You know, we, we understand you know, just thinking about the business for a second, we understand the resilience of the business to the biggest kind of economic and social shock we could kind of imagine. We understand all of our people have at some stage worked remotely, many of them still doing so, myself included. And we know that we can continue to do our jobs, perform our tasks effectively, efficiently, while working remotely. We never knew that before. So, there's some real benefits out of this as well that we would have not learned without having gone through these experiences. And I think the challenge for us as we go forward is saying, okay, what, what have you learned and what are you going to do with that new knowledge? How are you going to use that to build your business as, as we go forward and hopefully build a business better in the future than it's ever been in the past? That's, uh, that's the challenge for us as we go into 2021 and beyond because, you know, this isn't just something that's suddenly going to get fixed and then everything's back to some sort of normal in a few months time you know i think some things have permanently and fundamentally changed and it's our task as business leaders to make sure that they change for the better whatever that means yes yeah, so someone said to me the other day that they feel like the world's been sort of catapulted forward five years and the sentiment is always we wouldn't wish any negative on anyone that's a learning experience that we, we can't overlook and I think that's exactly what you're saying is that it's stress-tested businesses and individuals to an extent that we have to, to leverage that learning for the good. Yeah, I, I can see lots of opportunities and examples where we'll do that. You know, just thinking about life in Hayes back in the summer. I think we talked about this last time, but 
we got onto the front foot to think about where we wanted to find ourselves in the future and how do we proactively put ourselves there instead of just the market somehow taking us there. So grabbing hold of our own destiny, if you like, and, and, and we started what, what has now become the biggest investment program, really, we've ever had. Somewhat contrarian that you're doing that when, uh, when everybody's tightening their belt to sort of see themselves through the next few weeks and months, which obviously we're doing at the same time. So you've got to walk and chew gum. On the one hand, we're having to make sure we're managing the business for the here and now, but at the same time, invest in the business because these times will pass and we want to make sure that we, we build something that is ever more resilient and worthwhile for the future. And in a way, the COVID experience, it almost sort of presses the reset button and said, okay, if you could wave a magic wand, what would you want to wake up with when all this is gone? And that's the question we've asked ourselves, you know, what, what do we want to wake up with when, when the current sort of health, social, economic issues have, have faded into, into history? Where do we want to find ourselves and what do we need to do now to put those building blocks in place and then and then build on those building blocks. So, you know, on the one hand, it's challenging, but on the other hand, it's exciting to be kind of reimagining what's your business going to look like? What's its services? How are your people going to operate? How are your people going to feel? What's the, the proposition to our employees as well as the proposition to the marketplace? How, how do you lead the business to those sunny uplands? You know, that's a that's an exciting challenge to have. And it's it's not every day you get the freedom to be able to think like that, actually. So many aspects of this have given us freedom to to think and challenge and reset aspirations and dream a little bit about what good could look like in the future, as opposed to incremental improvements on what you've had in the past. As to where you are now from a reflection point of view, is it has it fundamentally changed any part of your mission and vision as a wider company or has the change has been more around the tactics and the approach to get to that vision? Yeah, it's probably a little bit of both, to be fair, Adam, because we don't want to change what we do. We want to help people realise their, their full potential through their career journey. That's, that's really our purpose in life and help organisations realise their full potential by tapping into the talent that they need to get there. So that's been our purpose. It's our purpose today. It will remain our purpose going forward. But how you actually get there and, and what that looks like to be able to help more people more often in more places more of the time, I, I think in a way we, we've kind of set our, our vision and our aspirations ever higher than they've been in the past because you know if you think about today's world there's so much dislocation there are so many people who are looking for help advice guidance a leg up on the ladder call it what you like jobs have been destroyed and i think your point about covid has accelerated things by maybe five years these things were probably going to happen anyway you know that the change of the retail landscape on the high street was happening anyway. Arguably, COVID's taken four or five years out of that journey. The, the digitization of normal businesses as they start to shift more to a, a sort of a, a digital way of, of operating was happening, being accelerated. So 
COVID has been a massive accelerator as well as a destroyer, but it's also been a creator because it's caused people to think, okay, fine, what do I need to not just operate, but be successful as, as we go forward? One of the things people need is advice on what they're going to need to do to be employable and successful and realize their, their career potential. If you think about how do we look at the world, we look at it from an employability angle. What does the world need in terms of skills? What's the supply of those skills look like? How do we help people on their personal journey to become ever more relevant and employable? And if we can bring that to more and more millions of people worldwide, then I think we're doing something really quite positive for our societies as well as for ourselves. And, and with the advent, greater use of technology, new systems being developed, our reach to be able to do that is phenomenally enhanced to where it was even just in the last few years. But also what we're bringing those people, you know, we're in a position now where we can say, this is the, this is the market demand for, for skills. You know, th this is what companies need. This is what the supply base of those skills look like. This is, this is what people have got as capability. And there's a gap. We were talking in Hayes about what we call the talent mismatch around the world for the last 15 years. We've been doing annual research on that. There's always been a, a talent gap, a talent mismatch, as we call it. COVID's accelerated and made greater that talent mismatch. But we've now been able to put ourselves in the position of saying, this is what the market needs. This is what you've got as an individual. Here is the route map for you as a person to actually bridge that gap and make yourself more employable, typically by upskilling yourself you know, online learning. We've curated millions and millions of hours for, of online courses. And, and we can piece the jigsaw together now in a way that has never really been possible. We can say, market needs this. You've got this. Here is the route for you to bridge your personal gap. And here is access to the content, skills, training, whatever you need to actually get there and easy access to it. So you see what you need. You know what you've got. You know how to get what you need to bridge the gap. Off you go. The onus obviously then becomes on, onto, the, onto the individual, onto the learner. But then if we can see what people are doing to learn and that they've actually gone through a learning process, that makes them more employable. We can then take them to market. These are all things that we're now sort of able to do, which in the past it would have been a kind of visionary pipe dream. But we're now able to join those dots. And and perfect timing when so many millions more people are saying, what can I be doing with my professional life? I've either lost my job, I need a new one, or I'm a bit stuck in this job, I want to learn and grow and develop. How do I do that? Well, that, those are the services that we're increasingly sort of taking to market. So it seems like if I, if I sort of zone in on this sort of breadth of reach, and obviously that's happening in the market, but it's also happening with your own employee base as well. And last time we spoke in June, you would, we delved into the fact that Hayes was, was already very well equipped and versed from a technology standpoint of view to mobilize, you know, fully remote workforce. But there was the big debate of, are people going to go back? Are they going to stay? And, and you, I, I remember you mentioned the phrase that there's going to be a sort of new hybrid model. How, how is that panning out? Um, I know you're back at home in, in probably in, in most cases, but obviously you had a, a moment where you did go back or had opportunities. Mm. Have you sort of had any further reflections on, you know, when the world is is vaccinated to a, to a degree, 
what that might look like and are you playing an, a proactive role in promoting that or yeah it's a really interesting question and and if we if we roll the clock forward to the future let's go forward i don't know five years and, and look back over the five years that have just gone by i absolutely firmly believe a kind of a more flexible hybrid way of working for many companies arguably most companies will be absolutely normal by then and they'll look back and, and many of them will say covid was the catalyst to make that happen maybe they were trialing it a little bit before but covid sort of forced the issue because hey overnight you're not allowed in the office so if you can't work remotely you can't work and and i'd, I'd say the world in general has coped incredibly well with what has been a a massive shock to the traditional way that people have only known many people have only ever known going to a work environment to do work younger people obviously have, have, have got a different set of expectations and experiences but i grew up in a world where going to the place of work was what you did when you went to work <laughs> yeah so i think the concept of hybrid working, partly in the office, partly not in the office, but being extremely effective within that, that hybrid world, that will become the new norm. Where are we on the on the journey? Well, we're, we're a few months further on. It, it sometimes feels a little bit like the hokey cokey. you know, one, one minute you're in the office and then you're not allowed to be again. So we're all back home in the UK now. But when I look around our world, we've got some offices which are fully occupied. China, for example, been fully occupied for some time. The business today is bigger than it was a year ago. So it's gone through the COVID trough, came out the other side on its front foot, roaring ahead. But then we've got other businesses who have barely been in the office since COVID hit them, which might have, you know, places like South America, for example, COVID was a little bit later in 2020 when it hit South America. Uh, many of the offices in, in, in my business in South America haven't yet reopened or have only opened on a very re restricted basis. And, and, you know, here we are in the UK. We were back in the offices to some degree and now we're not really. But I do think, as you say, as, as the world sort of moves forward from this and the vaccination programmes globally are going to be a huge catalyst to making this happen, we will move into a world where we're capturing the benefits of being in the office, come back to what those might be in a second, with the benefits of having the, the trust and the flexibility to be able to work remotely for some part of your time. You know, again, one of the lessons out of COVID, how do you get the best of both worlds? You know, speaking personally, I find huge advantage to working remotely for some aspects of my role. I also miss huge advantages from being together with colleagues in the office for other aspects of my role. So for me personally, I think most people would fall into this category. Some sort of blend between the two is what makes sense. What might make sense for me in terms of how that blend looks might look different to you. When I talk to a lot of our front office consultants, they miss the buzz and the energy and the almost learning by osmosis of being around very talented people and just being part of the fray. They miss that. So I think hybrid is here to stay. I think it's a good thing. I think it needs to be planned. It needs to be thoughtful and you've got to be very clear in your mind what are the circumstances that make office-based 
getting together better? What are the circumstances that says being more on your own at home or working remotely, what makes that better? And for people to very thoughtfully craft their working day and their working week to put real structure around that. I know for a fact there are certain things I'm more productive at if I'm sitting quietly at home. Okay, fine. How do I plan my day or my week around that? I also know I get great benefit from being in the same room as somebody, not on a Zoom call, in the same room as somebody discussing an issue, chewing over the options, debating, getting a diversity of opinion so that we actually think about things in different ways. I find that personally far easier when we're sitting around together than maybe on a, on a small screen. So as I think about the future, how do I design how I do my role? Not as effectively. I'd like to say in the future, we can be more effective, actually, yeah, in, in, in our jobs. Because if, if we're getting something better, a bit more flexibility, which a lot of people are hankering after, if we're getting something that makes us happier, more effective, uh, just better, we should be better at our jobs. So that means we should be more productive. That's the size of the prize, I think, at the end of all of this. With an industry very orientated around a legacy of sort of you succeed through presenteeism, obviously moving more to a longer term hybrid model. I mean, are you seeing any sort of cracks in and around impact of culture for you? You know, we're, we're in a prolonged period now in many markets of six, nine, even approaching sort of 12 months. Do you, uh, are you feeling that the, the pain at all on the culture piece by not having those valuable human interactions that I miss deeply, you know, uh, and I echo exactly what you said. There's some, there's some just precious moments where it's not impossible to do it remotely, but in person, just reading the room, the body language, that human connection of helping people through difficult times or positive times is is taken away. But I'm just mm. interested to know if, if there are impacts to culture on that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the honest answer is yes, there are positive and negative. But I think we also have to step back and say, right, what are the most important things an organisation has got? And one of the most important, if not the most important, is its culture. An organisation's culture, it's like an organism in its own self. It lives, it evolves, it grows, it develops, it dies, it withers away, it flourishes. Yeah, Mess with your culture or disregard your culture at your peril because... All of us as employees, by definition, are temporary. We might be there five minutes or we might be there 50 years, but we won't be there forever. But the culture, a culture, will be there forever. And it's the task of the leaders to make sure it's the right sort of culture. So let the culture wither on the vine because we're all working on Zoom or Teams. Let that happen at your peril. And it takes a long, long time to build the right culture and it can take a very short period of time to absolutely destroy it. So it's been a huge focus of ours. Have we, have we got it right? Have we got it wrong? Well, we'll know in the future. I think one way that you nurture your culture, because nurture I think is the right word here, is making sure people feel together, making sure people feel a part of what's going on, a part of the organisational entity. You know, when we're all working remotely, 
we're not seeing our colleagues or friends as regularly as as we'd like. You know, some people are working in extremely nice environments. Many other people don't have that luxury and they're working in, in some quite difficult circumstances. Maybe they're working parents and they're homeschooling their children at the same time. You know, there's some enormous challenges on people and you can understand that that starts to fray. If you at the same time feel disconnected from your job and, and you know, everybody that you've spent so long working alongside and you feel alone and just stuck in the room endlessly making Zoom calls or, or whatever it is you're doing, then I think that's where culture can start to, uh, to fray around the edges. And I think a huge part of my role has been to keep people together, keep people on the bus, keep people feeling as though they're communicated with in an open, authentic, honest way. There's no point telling people, oh, it's not that bad, when, of course, we all know it's terrible. So so let, let's be honest about it. But also, let's give some reassurance. You know, these are very anxious times for a lot of people. And let's give people reassurance, at the very least, that we have a plan, we have a vision, we have an aspiration, we're putting our money where our mouth is, this is how we're doing, this is what's expected of you, these are the support mechanisms available to you. You know, at the end of the day, we're all humans, Adam, and you know everybody needs a shoulder to lean on sometimes. These are the shoulders we can and are providing to our people. So you're not alone in all of this. I think one of the real positives, stepping back, and, and you know, I'm not the right person to judge this, but one of the things I perceive, at least, is there's been a coming together of the people in the business, a, a, a bonding, as people have said, wow, this is quite extraordinary circumstances. Nobody would have wished this on anybody, but it's happened. It's nobody's fault, but we're in this together and we've got to get through this together and better to be together than individuals. And, and they've, they've come together and mutually supported and reinforced each other in just a fantastic way that if we step back and say, so what have been some of the positives? I think that that bonding across the business, whether it's within offices, whether it's across countries, whether it's between functions, I think has been extraordinarily powerful. Long may that continue. In circumstances like this, you can never over-communicate. You've got to be authentic. You've got to be on the front foot. You've got to use technology in, in the best way you can. You know, video is such a powerful means of communication these days. I think that connectivity I've seen not just across businesses i've seen it across the industry actually i think you know having been exposed and in the industry 20 years i think the industry's never collaborated and pulled together more and i've seen a lot more interaction at you know conversations round tables where i think there's a, a strong pride and emphasis of greater collaboration which is which is great to see as well yeah yeah absolutely so you touched on it earlier alistair just around such an important role Hayes plays and the industry plays around providing people opportunity professionally and through their career, which obviously impacts them uh, personally as well. And something stuck in my head last time we spoke about lifelong learning. And I'd love to know, you touched on like significant hours of content you've built, but what role and acceleration has Hayes played in, in this hugely important area of not just upskilling but also reskilling and and potentially even i'm hearing a lot more about 
internal mobility as well, you know, mobilizing talent, less obsession around title and accreditation and more about experiences and mobilizing and moving talent around businesses. I'd just love to know the advancements mm. and investments you've made because for me it's one of the most important things that we, we should be addressing. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the concept of lifelong learning has been something that maybe the academics have been talking about for some time as people need to start to understand that, that this is a requirement now. And it started to get maybe a little bit more mainstream. If you think about the jigsaw of employability, in the past, we've understood what jobs are out there by definition, because we're working on them. We've understood what skills people by and large have got because they're applying for the jobs. We've understood where there's gaps. So the market needs a lot of these, but there aren't enough of them. The supply base has got lots of these skills, but nobody wants to use them anymore. We've understood all of that jigsaw, but we've not been able to connect the two. With piecing together through our partnerships, the, the bridge, if you like, the, the content for somebody to upskill themselves, we've now been able to join the dots in a way that has not really been possible until this, this point. And we've built those systems. A lot of it, obviously, is digital learning. And it's not necessarily about, I used to be an engineer, nobody wants an engineer, I'm going to go retrain as a doctor and take five years doing it. It's not about a big block of institutionalized formal training. It's more granular modules of I, I don't know, I'm working in the world of technology. My skill set is, is now becoming legacy. There's two or three modules I should now learn, whether it's through, for example, new programming languages. If I can learn those, I immediately become instantly relevant and employable again. And that's something that can be done weekends, evenings, spare time, easily consumable, doesn't take too long. And that's what the world actually needs, I think. And, and that's what we've curated. So as we've gone live with this over the last few months. We've done a number of sort of user cases, if you like, to see if, if, the, if the theory bears itself out. We've done a user case in, uh, in the technology space, helping people who maybe are a bit more legacy skilled to understand what are the newer skills that will definitely make you employable. And then if you do that, if you do that training, will we get you a job? And it's been a phenomenal success an absolutely phenomenal success. We then took it to um, the UK market for education. We do a lot of work for schools and schools and school teachers have got a very, very difficult job at the moment. Remote learning, they're probably having to look after their own kids at home as well. Sometimes they're in school, sometimes they're not. They've got a load of legislation and safeguarding, training, et cetera, and compliance work that they have to do. So there's a huge burden on our teachers. What could we do to help our teachers at a time of crisis? So we retooled our product, if you like, to be specific for teachers in terms of the things they need to do to be an effective teacher. And that could be as simple as, have you got your safeguarding compliance done properly? Or it could be, what are the new digital skills I need to be most effective as an online remote teacher? You know, there's a whole spectrum of, of new skills required. We built this. We took it to uh, the UK teacher population. I think the figures today are incredibly impressive. A quarter of a million UK teachers are actively online using this tool to improve themselves. A quarter of a million. You know, if that's not doing something useful for society, I don't know what is. I, I think that's just 
one example of where we're going to end up in the future. How, how can you build these things which are hugely relevant, help people get on in their professional lives? They're either free or very cost effective to use. They're very simple to use and you get a good result at the end of it. You improve yourself as a result of doing it. That, that to me is starting to put the tools behind the concept of lifelong learning. And, and again, if we can be bringing that to our societies, everybody wins. So great progress. But, you know, as ever, there's always more to be done. Every time we test something and it works, we can think of another hundred things that we should be doing with it. But that's exciting. You've always been very candid, but you're, you're a clear optimist. So what are you most excited about in the coming year, both personally and professionally? I think when I've always spoke to you, you're, you're always smiling and you're always looking at the opportunity. So I'd love to. <laughs> I think if, if you're going to be uh, if you're going to be a CEO, well, I'm just thinking how many successful CEOs are there that are pessimists? Probably not a lot. So I think you need to start with a bit of optimism. What, what am I looking forward to? We've learned so many valuable lessons. We've learned so much about ourselves. We've learned so much about the business. We've tested so many new things, which most of them have worked. It's incredibly exciting to say, what are we going to do with that? And how are we going to build our business in the future? that we would never, ever have been able to achieve if COVID hadn't come along. You know, if COVID hadn't come along in five years' time, we'd probably be still wondering whether we should give people laptops in case they want to work from home one day a week. Well, they've all got laptops and they're all working at home five days a week at the moment. So we've taken some decisions out of necessity. As I say, necessity is the mother of invention. We've invented so many things that we will probably never have been brave enough, or if we were brave enough, much slower at doing. And it's almost like you've been given this free pass to build something that you might never have had the opportunity to build previously. The task now is how do we get our heads around so what is that then? What is that thing you're going to build? Why is that going to be better than what you might have otherwise built? But that's a hugely exciting thing for a CEO to be able to, to think about. And one of the things I've discovered or has happened to me during this whole, um, this whole crisis is I found ways of carving out a lot more time to think more deeply and longer about the bigger long-term important issues because I've just got more of that time to consider those things. I'd like to hope that I can continue to maintain that carved out time because at the end of the day, that, that's really a huge part of my job, thinking about where are we going to be in a few years' time and how do we get there, not just how we're going to get through to payroll on Friday. It's hugely valuable for me personally. That's fascinating. And I've, seen, I've heard this a number of times now by global CEOs that a huge revelation and a benefit in kind is I've, I've had more time to think. And I saw on the platform an interview, a very old interview that's been played millions of times between, I think, Warren Buffett and um, Bill Gates. And they show his diary and said it's, it's, it's empty, you know, for like, he's got so much time carved out. And he, and he responds to Bill Gates and says, well, that's my thinking time, you know. Yeah. 
And and that's been a revelation for me just to, you know, the importance of calming, you know, you're responsible for, you know, have all this data and insight and experience. And maybe in the past you've been suffocated in terms of that creative thinking time as, as to what's next. So that's why. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if I, if I've got spare time in the diary, I personally do my most creative thinking when I'm not sitting down saying I've got an hour to do creative thinking. <laughs> I'll do it when I'm, I don't know, out exercising or something. You, you're processing something, you're thinking about something, you come back and you've got the solution. It's just, it's just appeared because your brain has been processing away. So carving out the time so that you're not, as you say, suffocated by the day-to-day urgent stuff but you've actually got the freedom to consider when you're at your most creative to consider the creative stuff that needs to be created, then you can really achieve some things. You know, I I can honestly say, Adam, we're doing things today that have come out of that creative thinking space. If we, if we'd have said a year ago, Oh, we think we might be doing this. People said, wow, that's ridiculous. That's balmy or, wow, that's visionary, or that sounds like a heck of a challenge or stretch. No, we're just doing it now, mm-hmm. uh, which has got to be a good thing, I think. And, and you're more in control of your accessibility, aren't you? You know, when, you're, when you are visible and in the office, there's so many times you get door stops, which is great because you get all those water call moments, as, as they would say, but also when you're, you're effectively offline, you, you can protect and guard that space, which seems to be invaluable as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, we're kind of finishing where we started. The challenge going forward and the challenge for me as the leader of the business is how do we get the best of both worlds? How do yeah. we get the, pay, the best of all of the creative thought that we've unleashed with the best of the community energy that we find when we're together in the office having that water cooler moment? There must be a way that we can design as a human race the best of both worlds. Absolutely certain we can do that. And now we know that that's an opportunity for us. That that is how we can make our lives become in the future. You know, that's that's pretty cool, I think. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hayes Worldwide Leadership Insights Podcast. If you found this advice useful, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. At the same time, if you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to reach out to us via email at socialmedia at haze.com.